0: My name is Ben Greenfield, and on this episode of the Ben Greenfield Life Podcast...
1: Hurt people hurt people, and the body keeps the score. And so because of, of those things, we tend to carry a lot of things from childhood, from our own wounds growing up. Our parents, they do the very best that they can. And as parents, we do the very best we can with the tools that we have. But we're all flawed in some way, and we all have have issues that we're dealing with that kind of put us on autopilot that we don't even know. And so because of that, there's a lot of things that happen where we just kind of go through the motions just because that's what we saw modeled for us.
0: Faith, family, fitness, health, performance, nutrition, longevity, ancestral living, biohacking, and a whole lot more. Welcome to the show. It's close to Thanksgiving, which is kind of crazy, but honestly I'm excited. I love Thanksgiving because I love turkey and I want you to have free turkey. Yeah, you heard me free turkey 10 to 14 pounds of free turkey. That's right. Butcher box is at it again. I know the main course for Thanksgiving dinner can sometimes be a main source of stress. Especially if you're like me and you promise your wife you're going to go out and hunt turkey, you often come back empty-handed, and then you have to call up folks like ButcherBox and actually order a turkey in full humility. That's happened to me a few times. Not anymore. ButcherBox is offering all of us free turkey with our first order. You go to ButcherBox.com slash Ben. Butcherbox.com slash Ben. You get one 10 to 14 pound turkey free in your first box. That's butcherbox.com slash Ben. Ultimate convenience, incredible value, peace of mind. You know the meat's well sourced, tastes great. They got free burned, organic chicken, grass fed beef, pork that's raised crepe free, wild caught seafood, you name it. Butcherbox.com slash Ben. Get your turkey, gobble gobble. All right, so everybody wants to boost their immune system these days. Getting in a sauna four to five times a week can give you that plus reduce pain and inflammation, increase heat shock proteins, help maintain muscle even when you can't work out, and make you feel on top of the world because the penetrating infrared heat releases so many happy hormones. So in my house, you'll find a clear light sauna. It's the sauna company known for shielding against EMF. Each one comes with a lifetime warranty, so they're built to last. It's big enough for me to work out in, for my whole family to sweat in. They have a whole variety of sizes, including a one-person version of what I have, which is perfect for even, like, the smallest apartment. And they have a quiz on their website. Ain't that helpful to help you determine which of their 13 different models is perfect for you and your house and your family and your needs. So if you want to sweat buckets and get healthy doing so in the privacy of your own home, Check out this quiz at HealWithHeat.com, HealWithHeat.com. Code Ben gets you a discount and free shipping at HealWithHeat.com. Check them out, HealWithHeat.com, code Ben. Welcome to hot chocolate time. You know, my kids love hot chocolate, and I love that they're able to drink delicious, healthy hot chocolate. So this is a company that does 100% USDA certified organic hot chocolate with 10 different superfoods in it. And a bunch of amazing, amazing ingredients for immune health, for body repair, for assisting with sleep, a whole lot more. The average hot cocoa, cup of hot chocolate has 200 calories, 6 grams of fat, and 25 grams of sugar. This stuff has just 23 calories, less than 2 grams of fat and one gram of sugar, and it's got stuff like turmeric and ginger and reishi mushroom and lemon ball and turkey tail mushroom. And it's it's just this, this really, really cool creamy blend that actually makes you healthy as you drink it. It's especially encouraged for nighttime sleep because a lot of the ingredients support relaxation, and that's a perfect time to sip hot chocolate anyways. It's USD Organic certified gluten-free, glyphosate residue-free, dairy-free, soy-free, vegan, non-GMO, clinically proven ingredients and 100 organic whole food it comes from my friends at organifi organifi with an i so if you go to organifi.com slash ben they'll get you 20 percent off of any order including this delicious organifi gold chocolate at organifi.com slash ben all right, I'm pretty excited because today I get to interview one of my buddies. Uh, he's an entrepreneur. He's a product designer. He's in the health industry. He's a podcaster. He's an angel investor, and uh, he just has a lot of passions that kind of overlap with some of mine, like the great outdoors and nature and, and hunting, which we've had a chance to do together, and sports and good food and and uh, conversations and connections, and even family. This guy was actually featured or is featured in my upcoming. Coming parenting book, Boundless Parenting. He's uh, he's got a chapter in there where he talks about uh, his approach as a father and how he deals with screaming kids and uh, and raising kids in a healthy way and kind of kind of swimming upstream in the way that that he does. He's the co-founder and CEO of uh, a company that I actually really like. I like it so much I actually invested in it when they launched. It's called Wellness. I, you know what, Seth? I still can't freaking pronounce the name of it. Well, Wellness, it. A. Wellness, Wellness A Wellness. Wellness. Yeah. Well, it's, it's wellness with an E, you guys. W-E-L-L-N-E-S-S-E. He is also the uh, the co-founder of wellnessmama.com, which is this big natural living blog and podcast for women and for moms or mamas, as the name implies. And then he recently sent me this sweet knife. Well, we got to talk about the knife a little bit too, Seth, because he's got this company called Rewild Gear, which is doing like knives and fire starters and, and cookware. It's actually pretty pretty cool, deal, and we'll talk about that a little bit too. So, anyway, Seth has six kids. So he's a father of six. He's an outdoorsman, he's a hunter, he's a skier, and um, of course, in into, the into, into baseball and football uh, and lives in Florida. You know, after interviewing for my book, which features a whole bunch of parents who I just wanted to kind of like, I wanted to get inside their heads and pick their brains and you know and and Seth is you know they they've homeschooled their kids uh, there's there's six of them I've, I've hung around him and his kids and I'm impressed with what he does and so I wanted to talk about family and parenting and fatherhood but also dig into some of other Seth's passions because I think you'll you'll find him pretty intriguing so Seth welcome to the show dude Thanks Ben excited to be here Yeah Yeah I think the most we ever hung out actually was when we were hunting in we were on Kona in hawaii remember that that was so much fun though i mean that was that was a blast yeah and, and but since then you've got this i mean we we gonna we jump into this right away and get this out of the way this whole like for example you send me this knife this gasper knife that's crazy it's uh it, it's got this weird kind of super steel in it that i hadn't heard of before and this uh this this kind of like grip that's uh it's it's, it's really interesting though what's the deal with this knife
1: Yeah. So the concept for Rewild Gear, that is something that myself and my brothers conceptualized many years ago, probably a decade ago, just sitting around a campfire drinking bourbon and comparing knives and just equipment in general. We've always been gearheads. And so my motto is quality over quantity. And so I'll buy multiple different items just to test out and see what works and Mm -hmm. what's the best and what works for me. So we just kind of had this idea of there wasn't really a great knife that we love that really met our criteria. So when COVID happened, we kind of had this idea about starting a knife company or just an outdoor equipment company in general. Then when COVID happened, it's like there's no time like the present. And the one thing that people can still do with all the lockdowns and crap is get outside, go camping, backpacking, hunting.
0: I thought you were going to say stab each other. Well, I mean, I guess you
1: could do that too, but uh, that wasn't really what we were thinking. So we're like, why don't we push forward with this idea? And so we spent well over a year just designing the knife, both our own sketches and ideas, and then working with an industrial designer to really get the specs down. And we created what I think is one of the very best general all-around camping and hunting knives on the market. Not to get too nerdy about it, but we use a super steel called S35BN, which really marries the best of all the different steel qualities. The hardness, the um, lack of corrosion, like the corro- corrosive resistance of it, how um, easy it is to sharpen and how long it'll retain an edge. So S35BN really does a great job of that.
0: How often, and, and, and this is uh, this is probably a total surprise. to People who tune into a fatherhood podcast and a family podcast, and now they're learning about knives. But how often do you sharpen yours? Because you know you you sent it to me. I've already field dressed one animal with it, and I only had to I had to you know I've, I've got this little um, it's like a portable field knife sharpener. I only sharpen it once. But how often do you sharpen yours?
1: It really depends on how often you're using it. It should bone out and handle an elk without being sharpened. I mean, you might need to touch it up just a little bit. Since I primarily hunt on the East Coast, it's with a lot of white tail, and you know, we'll go through a whole white tail or two without needing to sharpen it, oh, no wow. problem. Once you're getting into bigger animals, it's a lot more, and so you might need to touch it up here or there. But if you're using it just like around camp for general camp tools, cutting food, vegetables, some meat, maybe whittling some sticks, or creating tinder or kindling, um, it's, it's gonna last a little longer than just repeated usage, like skinning out a, an animal.
0: Yeah, and and, and obviously, yeah, like you're you're an entrepreneur, you're a businessman. You've you've got this other company we can talk about as well. The wellness. I noticed you've got like grills, utensils, you know, firelight bellows, power balls. Like for for you stepping back and maybe opening the kimono a little bit from a business standpoint. Are you and your bros just like finding really great products and then having having them made for you, and then just just fulfilling?
1: No, so all of the designs are really our own, with with the exception of a couple of them. The knife was totally our design, and we have those made in Michigan. The grill is our own design, or utensil, the same thing. Because there's so many products on the market, and any time I go into a, into a market, or just in business in general, I want to figure out how can we differentiate? What can we do that's better than what's already out there? Because if, if something is already on the market that I can purchase, that they do a really good job, then why would I want enter, to enter that if I don't have a differentiating factor? I want to create value besides and, just your logo on it. Exactly. Yeah. I don't I have no desire to do that. So all the products that we created and we're, we currently have available, they're all ones that we were able to differentiate in some way. And they all are kind of very minimalistic and things that you need to just get in the great outdoors and spend, spend time with family, with friends, and just disconnecting from all the technology that we're inundated with every day.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Do you have your kids involved with that one at all, with that business, the rewild business?
1: A little bit. I mean, they, we've, they've helped with some of the, the photography, just some of the images, um, testing out the gear. Um, so not as much as I'd like, but they are doing some.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, there, there's, there's kind of like, uh, some, some tax implications as well. I mean, I I have a financial team that, that seems to do a pretty good job with all these different loopholes and, and there's a certain extent to which your children can work for your business and, be paid, like be on payroll. And there's actually some, it's pretty good tax saving. Not, not that you want to just like pop out kids. I'm sure that's, that's not why you had six kids set, to yeah, set yeah. on taxes, but it is interesting. Like the, there's some advantages besides just the mentoring and the learning and, and, uh, the self-actualization aspect that makes, uh, having your kids work for you a pretty good idea. I, I wanted, I want to talk a little bit about, about your fatherhood and really we can just get painful and vulnerable and gritty from the get-go because one of the things that really stood out to me in your chapter on parenting was uh, I had a question in there about like books and systems and models and resources that you found pretty indispensable or helpful in your own parenting. And your reply was like kind of unique because you got into deep therapy work that did on yourself, like to understand your childhood and how you were raised and you know all sorts of stuff like D Martini method collapses and somatic like body work stuff stuff I didn't know about. So we've got a little bit of time, but can can you get into that? What got you down that path and what some of those things are that you did?
1: Yeah. So um currently finalizing divorce right now. Um and that's been the most painful and challenging thing that I've ever gone through.
0: Yeah. With, with, uh, with, with Katie. Yeah. Dude, yeah who's yeah. actually the wellness mama. And it was interesting for me too. I mean, just, just to be vulnerable myself. Like, like when I reached out to you guys, just cause you're both amazing, amazing parents and, and your kids are, are standouts and you're juggling a lot of them, but you're doing a good job. I actually didn't know that you guys were getting divorced and then both of you kind of like submitted. Your replies for the book. And it was a little bit awkward for me at first. I'm like, wait, I was going to ha- have them be like a couple. And now they're two separate chapters in the book, but it, it actually turned out to be interesting because none of us are perfect. And now I've got these couple of chapters from people who are actually going through, you know, a breakup during the time that the, that the submissions were coming in. And so you each have your unique perspective, but anyway, so, so people are probably familiar with, with Katie, the, the wellness mama, your, your, your previous wife, uh, but, but go ahead.
1: Yeah, so um you know the past couple of years have been the most challenging of my life just going through that breakup and that identity around marriage and the the businesses that we built together and who we are who we were as a couple and just the family unit. And so, as part of that, and accepting my responsibility in the breakdown of the relationship, I did an extreme deep dive just on myself and all types of different therapies and modalities, everything from plant medicine to somatic body work to breath work and sauna and cold plunge and. Know ketamine assisted therapy and just like so many different modalities. You mentioned the uh, John Dr. John D. Martini collapse, which was absolutely fascinating. That got into a lot of root things from childhood, because you know hurt people hurt people, and the body keeps the score. And so because of of those things, we tend to carry a lot of things from childhood, from our own wounds growing up. Our parents they do the very best that they can, and as parents, we do the very best we can with the tools that we have. But we're all flawed in some way, and we all have have issues that we're dealing with that kind of put us on autopilot that we don't even know. We don't even realize that we're running a software program that we didn't create, that we didn't implement into the hardware of our brain, into our entire operating system of our body. And so because of that, there's a lot of things that happen where… We just kind of go through the motions just because that's what we saw modeled for us. And so throughout this breakup, I realized that there was a lot of things about myself that I needed to work on in order to become a better a better person, to become a better man, eventually maybe a better husband again one day, and especially to become a better father because there were so many things that I was not doing that I needed to do, things that I was doing that I wanted to change for example, just yelling too much, not being as patient as I needed to. And a lot of these things were just on auto- autopilot from how I was raised as a kid. So I had to go down this really deep um, self journey and which I'm still on, but I'm coming out the other side of it and implementing and integrating all of those things that I've learned.
0: What is the, the John Demartini one, the method uh, that you call it like the collapse method, something like that? Yeah,
1: so I did um, a deep dive, like a two-day intensive, with a practitioner in Denver, uh, almost a year ago. And what that is, Dr. John DiMartini. He is, um, I believe, he's a psychologist, and he has courses and events and all kinds of things like that. But his method is, you take take something that causes you stress or that tends to trigger you, and it might be seen as like a negative. So then you flip it on its head and look at the positive. And so you go do this deep dive on what is the positive sides of it. So basically it collapses down that negative association and then you do it the opposite so you look at something that you see as a positive and you look at the flip side of that kind of the shadow side what is the negative and you collapse that as well so it reduces the charge so you don't have this really high or this really low surrounding anything so it levels you out a lot and it helps you to work through some of those things you either see as a positive or a negative because there's the yin and the yang to everything that kind of masculine, feminine, um, good, bad. There's a lot of gray in so many areas and we tend to associate things as one extreme or another at times. So it's really good to kind of break those down. So you're not so tied into that story.
0: Is this the one that's also called the quantum collapse? I haven't heard that term, but it's possible. All right. And, and do you, do you do this as like a daily practice or like you alluded to, do you have to go somewhere for a couple of days and go through this whole process?
1: I did. I went through um, a practitioner. Um, His name is Will Etheridge. And he's. um, I met him doing some um, plant medicine uh, ceremonies. And he did a couple processes with me during that that was very helpful. And so I began working with him almost a year ago. And we did a two-day deep dive intensive on this and really delved into my own psyche and upbringing and just childhood how I was raised. And it was really, really beneficial. I noticed a lot of results from that as far as just my own orientation surrounding just different areas of my life and how I would react to certain situations and things that were triggering me.
0: I'll hunt down a link to it. Cause I know, I know Dr. Demartini has a website, but I'll, I'll, for anybody listening in, I'll just link to everything. Seth and I talk about, If you go to Ben Greenfield life.com slash Seth Spears, Ben life.com slash Seth S P E A. RS cuz i i think that's really interesting i'm i'm going to actually uh try to learn a little bit more about it i typically will go uh when somebody brings something up that i find intriguing i'll i'll go like type it in in the search box i use a podcast player called castbox and it lets you search like not only the uh topic and the title and the keywords for each podcast but it will go in and actually search the, the audio itself like it's an audio search engine so you can hear whenever a certain phrase is brought up. And that's often my method for researching something. I always go download a bunch of podcasts on it and kind of take a deep dive while I'm, while I'm going on walks and stuff. So nice. this martini thing sounds interesting, but you know, it's, it's something I've been thinking about a little bit recently, Seth. I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. We seem to live in this era where men are, for better or worse, increasingly aware that the decisions that we make, the way that we parent, the way that we interact with our spouse, or the way that we don't interact with them, is often influenced by our upbringing, right, and by you know the way our father and mother parented us, or perhaps trauma that we went through, or the way that we were treated in, in school, or you know what we were given an impression in terms of the way that the world might value us based on the way we, that we hold ourselves and, and who we are or not, you know, authentically or inauthentically. And so, you know, th- this this awareness seems to be something that a lot of you know men who are who are Woke, Not in a political sense of the word, but kind of like woke in a self-awareness sense of the word are aware of. Yet it also seems like sometimes guys use that as an excuse not to take radical responsibility. What I mean by that is like they'll blame their father wounds or their mother wounds or trauma and basically create this scenario where they're doing anything but saying – Hey, I've just been a shitty person and I'm going to change. And instead, they they almost like say, well, I'm this way, but I'm this way because my mom did this or I'm this way because my dad did this. How do you tackle the the idea of like taking radical responsibility, which I think you know a lot of guys will admit is a, is a good idea and not blame shifting, but also recognizing the fact that the way you act is uh, a little bit of a product of your upbringing or your nurturing?
1: It's a great question, and that kind of goes back to the nature versus nurture debate. Um, you know, which has the biggest influence, and I think there's a little bit of both. And yeah, and I've seen this even in my own life. You know, I have definitely had that victim mentality over the years. Well, where it's like because I I was homeschooled, um, I'm shorter than the average, um, just because of how I was raised or the way I was disciplined, and just a lot that I've thrown in life where I would use that as an excuse. And you know, part of that, it just it takes a lot of just deep work and digging into your own psyche and why. And being self-aware is really important. But it's not just being self-aware if you don't do anything with that. You first have to observe it, realize it, and then make a change because of it. And that's hard. I mean, that's really damn hard, Ben. Um, just because you you see these things and you don't like them, and yet you feel controlled by them at times. So it's a process of just observing it and not trying to judge it, taking a look at it and saying, how can I change this? Or this is what I'm triggered by, or this is how I'm reacting. And what can I do to maybe just tweak it a little bit? So it's not a 180 degree shift, but maybe it's just a 45 degree shift. So it's just a slight change so that the next time something comes up that triggers you, you can just tweak your response. And then from there, you can see that and tweak it a little bit more. So I don't, think there is a perfect solution for people just because we're all so different and everyone acts, looks, works differently. What works for you may not work for me. But I think it's versus just becoming aware of it and not letting that victim mentality take over and just taking ownership for it in the best we can. And we're all going to fail at times, but it's getting back on your horse, even though you've gotten thrown off and just continuing down my formula for success over the years has been to do the right things long enough consistently. And that's been very helpful in business um, and in a lot of different areas of life. And so I've just kind of been applying that to this self-discovery journey as well.
0: Yeah. For for me, and by the way, you are pretty short. <laughs> you're saying. I can only say that because I also am a, you know, a fellow, the homeschooled nerd, uh, full of my own failures and, and shortcomings, both physically, mentally, emotionally, and beyond. But I uh, I, I think that, Where guys get stuck, and I'm curious if you would agree or disagree with me on this, is they'll identify that they have some kind of a whatever you want to call it, a personality disorder, or a shortcoming, or or a habit that isn't you know serving them, as the saying goes, and they'll determine that there was a nurturing aspect of that, right, like something that happened in in the way that they were parented, or or their education, or the way they were disciplined, or something along those lines, and then they'll identify with that, but not let it go, not change. But like basically say, hey, this is who I am, you know, accept me as who I am, and I'm going to be working on this. I'm going to be working on this with the 18 different self-help methods for the next 20 years and never actually change because for some reason there seems to be like a like a stick at some point where the identity is not actually released, where where a guy doesn't just say yeah I'm not that person anymore and I moved on like you know like for for me th- this is very relevant to a recent Facebook post that I made that I guess no, nobody saw unless you're one of my friends on Facebook and maybe I'll share it publicly at some point and on, on some of these spiritually oriented blog posts that I do but it was basically like I am not that great at being a friend to other men. Like I, I engage in shallow conversations and I like hide in a crowd and kind of escape when the conversation starts to deep things and pretend to be busy with things that I make up that are supposed to be important that draw me away from a conversation. But it's really just a form of escapism for me. Like I'm, I'm really good at, at being busy and escaping, being a good friend, like being a deep friend and, and having long and meaningful conversations and what I wrote on Facebook was, hey, I identified this about myself. And for me, it was recently when I had a bunch of guys over at my house for a mastermind. I'm like, dude, I, I didn't really like get in deep with me. These guys, instead, I just like rushed around because oh, I got to go make stakes for this or I got to go, you know, take care of this guy who's doing this. And, and at the end of the Facebook post, I said, but you know what? I, I could list all sorts of reasons, like father wounds, mother wounds, you know, the way that my dad treated me or the way that I had friends growing up. But ultimately none of that matters. I just made a commitment today to not be that person anymore. There, boom, I'm done. I'm moving on. Right. And for some reason it seems like like it's difficult for guys to get to that point where they just release it all and and move on and just say, Hey, I'm not that person anymore. Deal with it. I'm 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 new now. You know? And then for me, I guess being a Christian, a big part of it for for me is I'll just like pray that God would turn me into a new person, kind of like lay it all out at the foot of the cross and move on. And I realize that's that's perhaps maybe unfair for people who who don't have, you know, faith-based practice or something, but that's how I deal with it. And I feel like a lot of guys just need to say, Hey, that's not me anymore. And, uh, that's behind, let's move on and quit, you know, quit blaming or identifying with that particular tendency.
1: That's really interesting. And I think for some people that can work, those that are extremely disciplined and they can make that radical choice and then that's it. They're done you're probably one of those Ben where just because you're so rigorous and disciplined in your life and that can be great and amazing but for many that doesn't work I've got a friend who basically self-identifies as a personality test so I had a conversation with him this was many years ago where he's like I'm an introvert so I've got to go introvert now I'm like I didn't even know that that introverting was a verb but you know whatever and my response to him was you're not a personality test so just because that's the test that you came out on whether that's human design or gene keys or myers-briggs or you know whatever it is it doesn't matter okay that might be your predisposition based on that nature and nurture aspect but we can all change and it's becoming self-aware in realizing those things and then making those changes over time because you know some of them that are so ingrained that we've done for so long it takes a lot of work to overcome that and I'll I'll give you an example. So for me, I grew up in a a large family. Um, I was the oldest of six kids, and you know, lower lower middle class. And f- there was always enough food on the table, but there wasn't enough food on the table. You know, a lot of carbs, um, a lot of not so healthy food. And my parents did the best they could with the resources that they had. But as far as the good stuff, the meat, the protein, you know, whatever, there wasn't enough. So I had this idea and mentality growing up that. I don't have enough food. I have to eat everything that's on my plate because there's are starving kids in Africa and you always have to clear your plate and if you don't eat it tonight, then you're gonna eat it for breakfast tomorrow. And so I've taken that attitude with me throughout my life and that's not actually healthy because if it's food that you don't enjoy, it's not healthy for you, there's no need to clear your plate or to finish it. So and that's been a struggle and something that I still work on. And I've overcome a lot of that. But it's still something that I continue to struggle with at times. And have to work on just because I hate wasting, which I mean, inevitably is is a good thing. But at times, it's okay not to finish at all.
0: I have a similar tendency, Seth, but for me, it, it all comes down to the freezer. I'm just like, you know what? I'm just going to freeze it. And then I'll, I have so many bags in the freezer, just like random crap. I don't even know what it is anymore because I threw it in the freezer.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then eventually, that's going to get freezer burn and go to waste yeah, exactly. as
0: well. So the
1: outcome is the same, but, I mean, it is similar. The other thing I'd say there is... Just the kind of the example that you were talking about as far as um, connecting my quick two cents, whatever it's worth, is it sounds like a little bit of a fear of intimacy and with with other men and where that comes from. You know, who knows that
0: that that or conflict avoidance disorder, which I think I heard a phrase once that went something like that. And I'm like, oh, maybe I just have conflict avoidance disorder. Sure. And yeah, it's that a lot of times that does go back to how we
1: were raised and how we, how our parents handled conflict, how our siblings did and how we were taught to do that. And, you know, a lot of people will say, I'm going to pray about it. That's going to fix it. But for me, I've seen that be an excuse and a crutch for so many people over the years where it's almost like a cop out instead of actually taking action on something because, you know, prayer is not really actual action. It's a passive thing. And yeah, that can help potentially can, as far as increasing your faith and belief and such. But at the end of the day, it's what we do. We have to actually take action on something if we really want to change and not just hope that it's going to change based on a wish and a prayer.
0: Yeah. Interesting. Do you think that that Martini collapse method would fit in uh, with, with any of this, this type of work when it comes to leaving things like that behind?
1: Yeah, I think it can for sure. Um, it it definitely was helpful for me in a number of aspects just surrounding relationships and just both you know romantically and parent child and in so many areas surrounding all of that
0: yeah yeah as far as the uh, the divorce goes is it still awkward with the kids or or painful with the kids like like what's the, what are the conversations like i realize that's a big question but i'm just curious
1: it's been very challenging one of the things that broke up my relationship was the communication or the lack thereof. I'm an open book and wanna talk about everything and I so value clear and open communication. And unfortunately, Katie is very different in how she communicates. And it's not entirely her fault. It's how she was raised. She grew up in a home with two parents that had like 80% hearing loss. So they communicated differently. And you know, the, her family is also conflict avoidant and people pleasers. So you mix all those together with how she was raised and then my family, which was this big, loud Italian family where you don't go to bed. If there's a fight, you're fighting it out until it's done with. Yeah. And so there were so many things resentment built up over the years that I didn't even know there were issues um, because she either wasn't able to communicate what I needed to know or just because she didn't know how to communicate to me or didn't want to until things just blew up and blew over. And so for me, as far as the parenting side goes, Unfortunately, my children, they tend to be a little bit more like her and not want to communicate as much. Like I want to talk about everything, let's get it out in the open and if you have questions, come and talk to me like if you're hurting and just ask them. And so, and it could also be the different dynamic of the father relationship versus the mother relationship, where I probably do talk to her more than they do me. Um, but that is that has been tough. That really has been a challenge just to try to have those tough tough conversations with them and just, you know, ask them how they're feeling. What are they doing? What do they need from me? And so it just takes time and more one-on-one attention to get them to open up and just feel comfortable. And I see that like when I have extended time with them, uh, where we're able to really drop in and, um, just connect more.
0: All right. If you enjoy using nicotine, you gotta check out this company called Lucy. All right, look, I know we're, we're, we're all adults here and we like the focus and relaxation and this blend of clean energy that you get from something like nicotine, uh, but we also know that cigarettes are bad for you. So if you enjoy using nicotine and you want a clean nicotine product, not full of a bunch of artificial hoo has then this is the stuff for you. It's called Lucy, L-U-C-Y. They're at Lucy.co. The promo code is BEN20. They have gum. I like the pomegranate flavor. They have lozenges. I like the cherry ice flavor. They have the little pouches that you put in your mouth. I like the peppermint flavor for those. The promo code is BEN20. If you use that, that will give you the 20% discount at checkout. It does contain nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. I'm supposed to tell you that. That's me being responsible. I love it. I chew a piece in the mid-morning and a piece in the mid-afternoon or a piece in the mid-morning and a lozenge in the mid-afternoon. So I cut myself off at about two, maximum three per day. But oh my gosh, it just, it freaking works. So it's called Lucy. Lucy Lucy.co. Use promo code BEN20 and you can experience what clean nicotine actually feels like. So you probably know that your body is mostly water, but your body is also fifty. percent amino acids, which are the building blocks of life and proteins and are essential for health and fitness. So no matter what you do or how you like to move or whatever you do to stay fit, amino acids are hyper essential. And that's why this stuff called key on aminos is like my Swiss army knife for supplementation. I drink them or just dump the powder straight into my mouth because I'm weird like that. Every day for energy, for muscle, for recovery from hungry, I have a scoop and they just, they crush appetite. Amazing for supporting sleep. If you haven't had a big dinner, uh, they help to support muscle gain and weight loss. I mean, over 20 years of clinical research behind these aminos. They got the highest quality ingredients, no fillers, no junk, rigorous quality testing. They taste amazing with all natural flavors. So if you want to naturally boost energy, build lean muscle, enhance athletic recovery, the list goes on and on. That's why I call them the Swiss army knife. You got to get Keon Aminos. You're going to get 20% off of monthly deliveries and 10% off of any one-time purchase if you use my code. And it's super simple. Get Keon.com slash Ben Greenfield. That's get K-I-O-N.com slash Ben Greenfield. And that'll get you hooked up with my fundamental supplement for fitness, Keon Aminos. You may or may not be aware of this, but I spend countless hours each week, knee deep in the latest research on everything from performance to digestion and gut issues to hormone optimization, anti-aging, fat loss, mental performance, hyper productivity, nootropics, smart drugs, and a whole lot more. And then... For the very small select number of VIP clients who I work with on a weekly basis, I take all that knowledge and over 20 years of experience optimizing the human body and I supply each of my clients with the exact fitness, nutrition supplementation, biohacking, and lifestyle plans that they need for full optimization. I'm incredibly thorough. I dig through every last shred of your data from blood work and biomarkers to DNA and saliva uh, to stool and urine. I walk you through the whole process. I even track daily metrics like sleep rhythms and heart rate variability. In other words, I'm the CEO of your health, and my number one goal is for you to be a high operator, basically like the Navy SEAL of whatever industry you happen to be in, whether you're a hard-charging executive Uh, elite athlete or a father or mother who just wants to get the most out of life and wants a no guesswork program that allows you to wake up in the morning and know exactly what to do and also know that somebody's watching your back and taking care of everything for you 24-7, I do all that for you. Not only that, but I've trained a team of elite coaches. So even if you can't work with me because it's outside your budget or because there's no openings to work with me, you have full access to a well-trained team who have learned all my knowledge and who meet with me on a monthly basis for office hours to continue to learn more and to talk about how we can deliver to you the most benefit using a very unique combination of ancient wisdom and cutting-edge modern science that's constantly developing based on everything that we learn and then apply to you. So if this sounds like it's up your alley and you want to join the ranks of those who have access to every last shred of knowledge and experience that I've gained over the years, then you can go to Ben Greenfield Coaching dot com to get started it's bengreenfieldcoaching.com fill out the form there someone will be in touch with you within 24 hours to get you fully dialed in because it's time for you to start looking feeling and performing the way that you deserve so go to bengreenfieldcoaching.com select any option that works for you from a monthly phone call with me to vip upgraded work where i'm taking care of everything for you 24 7 it's all there at bengreenfieldcoaching.com see you there there are two books that I think you know. My wife and I got got a uh, lucky or, or blessed, as the case may be, that we read early on in our relationship, or relatively early on in our relationship. And one was Radical Honesty. I think Brad Blanton wrote that book, and then this other one that kind of flies on the rail, but I think is fantastic. It's a Christian book. I, I think it's it's applicable to to anyone, whether you're faith-based or not. It's uh it's an essay on relationships or essays on relationships. It's called How to Be Free from Bitterness. And the, the book basically goes into like what happens when you don't talk things out and how bitterness just like festers in the soul. And, you know, you, you know, this. just having a little bit of a background in like alternative health and, you know, the idea in Chinese traditional medicine about how, you know, bitterness and unsettled anger and things like that and, and an inability to be able to communicate your feelings, uh, especially with, with someone you love can result in stuff just building up inside the body. You know, even like a bone cancer, for example, in, in traditional medicine, Chinese traditional medicine is one thing that's associated with, with anger or bitterness, or just not not having talked out things that you instead just let settle down inside you, I think. I think in couples that can really be an issue. I, I think it's pretty yes. common. I mean, I you know I, I'm no relationship expert, but I feel like couples who don't intentionally carve out the time to lay all the cards out on the table on a regular basis and share everything, they will end up fighting a little bit of an uphill battle. And you know, like in our house, it's it's on our you know, it's our mission statement on the, the the wall. You know, we have the Greenfield family mission statement. A big, big part of that is radical honesty and radical transparency. You know, our family crest hanging above the fireplace. One part of it, there's like roots from a tree that go down into this like kind of like blue clearish glass that's on the bottom of the crest. And that glass represents radical honesty and transparency. You know, our kids know they can come and talk to us about anything at any time. My wife and I know we can approach each other about anything at any time. We're not going to be judged or embarrassed about talking about it. And then, of course, and, and. I'm sure you've become familiar with this type of practice, Seth, you know, this idea of like going off on quarterly retreats to just talk things out or with some couples, they'll do like MDMA therapy, which is almost like truth serum where you sit and just talk with your, with your spouse for hours. And it's, it's like impossible to, to tell a lie or anything like that in that type of situation, you know, or even just like regularly scheduled date nights, you know, like my wife and I have one tomorrow night and we just show up and we're just like staring at each other for an hour talking. And a lot of times, I'm more organized than she is. So I'll have a bunch of stuff written down on a notepad that I've built up over the week that I want to talk about. And she's just kind of more loosey goosey with it. But yeah, this idea of, of radical honesty and transparency and just like nipping bitterness in the bud, I think is is crucial for relationships.
1: Yeah, I 100% agree. And, you know, it's really easy to look back in hindsight and, and say, I should have done this or I should have done that or I wish yeah. this been differently or that would have. But at the end of the day, everything happens for a reason. And we, Where we're supposed to be, um, just because there is a lesson to learn. And while this whole process over the past couple of years has been the most heart wrenching and challenging experience of my life, I'm a completely different person. Like, I've actually learned to love myself and trust myself in so many different capacities, which I'd never done before. And, you know, I think that's a, a process, and you're never fully, fully healed. You're never fully done, probably until we're dead. And, you know, if we don't learn it all in this lifetime, then maybe we have to learn it in the next. You know, who knows? But I think it's just all part of that journey that is life of just growing and evolving and spending time with those we love and care about and and taking that time and making it a priority. And, you know, I wish that I would have done more of that.
0: Yeah. Wow. Well, you know, it's, uh, it, it's something that I think a lot of people can learn from and they're, they're learning lessons that that you took away from in on a podcast like this. So at least it's, it's helping people in some respect and you know, I'm keeping you guys in my thoughts and prayers as well. So I want to talk about some other stuff too, though, yeah. that you, that you feature in the chapter, you know, there, there was a question about traditions and habits and routines And rituals that you formed with your children, you know, all the parents in the book got this question and you had one about a yearly ritual that involves deer camp and rifle season back in Kentucky. Tell me about that and and how you grew up with that and how you incorporate it with your, with your own sons.
1: Yeah. So this is one of my favorite topics. Um, Back in 2014, I purchased a piece of property back in Kentucky, where I'm from, and where we were living at the time. You know, it was 55 acres, and it was just beautiful piece of wooded property um, that backs onto a river that I had spent a lot of time on as a kid, as a teenager, and in college, where me and my brothers and my sister we would kayak and canoe and fish and just you know goof around on this river. And so I had seen this property for sale many years before that um, when I was living in Tennessee at the time, and it had gone up for sale, um, but I didn't have the capital for it. and So I just kind of put it out of mind, and then fast forward a few years, we had moved back to Kentucky, where I'm from, and saw this property. Um, it wasn't for sale, but it had never actually sold, and so I reached out to the owner and asked him if he was interested in selling it, and he said yes. and you know, I had been hunting for a few years already. I didn't grow up hunting. Um, there were guns in the house and weapons and, you know, I'm the oldest of six kids, uh, five boys and one girl. So, um, you know, we were always had weapons and playing around and just goofing off and stuff like that, but never like actively hunting. So I think it was, it was after college when I first started, uh, and just, Hunting at some friends' property and things like that, and I really enjoyed it. I love the the concept of um, actually harvesting my own food, and so when this property came available, I purchased it, and then I I built a cabin on it, uh, just a small, completely off grid cabin with lofts and. Korean war cots to sleep on, and no electricity, no running water, an outhouse to to use. Um, and so I told my brothers, I'd like, let's do a deer camp, the opening of rifle season. Why don't we get together? We'll all'll we'll go hunt, we'll bring our sons, We'll eat meat, and we'll just tell stories around the fire because you know that's what we had done growing up, like when we're camping or hiking or whatever. And so it became this thing where, every november it's usually the, the second saturday in november is the opening of rifle season for white-tailed deer in kentucky and we all get together my brothers our sons um our, our father and we just we have an amazing time it's it's like it's better than christmas to me it's i look forward to this all year round, and it's just that anticipation and expectation of the opening opening day, opening morning, where we're sitting in a deer stand or a blind, we're freezing our ass off, and you know drinking hot coffee, and just the opportunity to watch nature wake up and potentially see a huge buck come through, or you know a large doe or whatever. And one, what's been a really amazing experience for me, just those those relationships that are solidified, that are increased. But helping my father shoot his first deer, my son shoot his first deer, um, all of my brothers, them shooting their first, and one of my good friends. And that was just incredibly meaningful for for me, because I've enjoyed hunting so much over the years, but I got to share that with people that I love and care about so much. And that was just, just an amazing experience over the years doing that. So this is a tradition that we've just developed for our sons, just as like a father son thing, because that happened throughout history where the hunter gatherer mentality or really the hunter mentality where the, the elders of the tribe or the fathers, they would take their sons out of the young men and teach them the ways, teach them how to procure food for their family for their tribe
0: yeah you're obviously preaching to the choir but i i have to emphasize that for guys out there with sons and i realize like not every guy's a hunter and a lot of people you know listen to this podcast they you know for for ethical or or other reasons you know some don't even eat meat. but there's something about that primal act of hunting like the the most bonding times i've ever had with my sons like off the top of my head at least besides like the fact that we you know every morning my sons and i gather in the living room at 6 a.m and we, we put on really nice music and we burn incense and we read the Bible and we read a devotional and we pray together. And th- those are enormously meaningful, you know, because because like I cry and I break down and I, I lay it all, you know, just total bare soul in front of God. And my, my sons get to see that. And I sometimes even question like, gosh, am I being too vulnerable in front of my sons, like like showing too much weakness? You know, dad's sitting here like, if, I mean, like four hours ago, you know, like 6 a.m. this morning, I was crying because I was just super overloaded with stuff. And I was overwhelmed and I'm like on my knees asking God for help. And my sons are just kind of sitting there wide-eyed, you know, watching dad, you know, happy and content because, you know, they've just got this, you know, this nice little day where they wake up and do what they want. They don't have all the responsibilities, you know, the home and the bills and the, you know, all the crap I have to deal with, you know, crap in a good way. It's, it's all blessings, but it's good problems, but it's a lot of stuff just flying at me. And so, you know, I'll sit there and I'll, and I'll cry and they see that and it's very bonding for us. And that's more of like a daily, daily checkpoint In addition to like the the little meditations that we do as a family in the morning and in the evening. But as far as like long bonding experiences and like epic adventures, there's nothing that compares to going out in the woods and surviving and being cold and being hot and being hungry and walking for long distances and having your backpack make your shoulders or your low back tired, And then like sitting for eight hours, totally bored out of your mind without a phone or a book, just staring off into the woods and then occasionally you know i'll just say something like hey are there any girls that you like you know and, and there's just like little things like that that pop up during those downtimes that I don't know. There's there's something about that process, and then of course, as you alluded to, Seth, that, you know, once you actually harvest an animal and you're field dressing it together and you're, you know, biting in the meat together over a campfire, bringing something home to mom, you know, and and there's something about walking in the door, even though mom could obviously just go to Costco and buy a steak, but you, know, you walk in there and, and you got meat for mom to, to cook and you know prepare for the family, and and you know, it's just it, it's a really cool experience. This idea of of going hunting. With your sons, I, w- I would challenge any dad who's listening in who hasn't looked into that or like even like a, um, a wilderness survival camp. You know, there's this organization called Twin Eagles that we work with up here in Idaho. And I've had guys from all over the country come in and do that after hearing about it on the podcast. And, you know, the father, son, wilderness survival camps are absolutely amazing with this guy, uh, uh, Tim Corcoran up in North Idaho. It, j- this idea of like nature slash hunting slash survival slash men and sons hanging out together. There's I don't think there's anything that compares.
1: I totally agree. And that's, it's definitely the highlight of my year, just spending time off grid, like in the wilderness with my sons. And it's just an amazing experience and they've really learned to love it and enjoy it. Um, maybe as much much as me, I don't know, maybe not quite, but, uh, but yeah, but that's been great.
0: Yeah. And obviously we don't want to leave the the girls behind, (laughs) you know, it's, I think in my, I don't, I don't have girls. You do. So tell me about how you, how you connect with your girls. Great question.
1: So that's been a little bit more of a challenge for me over the years. And then during COVID, when all the lockdowns and everything happened, um, living in Florida, I'm about five miles from the beach. So we had, being on the Gulf Coast, there's not great surf. However, we had quite a few storms and swells that would come through. So me and my daughters, we actually picked up surfing here in, in the Florida panhandle. And so we would go out multiple times that summer. And whenever there was a foot wave or higher and we go out and surf and you know for anybody that is a surfer you know there's a lot of time spent just sitting on a board just waiting for a wave and so i just had some amazing conversations with my daughters during this time when we'd be out there just watching the swells come in and waiting for a set that we could actually ride and that brought us closer than anything that i've done um, with them very similar to with the boys taking them hunting so It's been, and you know, the younger ones, they're too young to serve. So uh, that doesn't work quite so well for them. But the older ones, they love it. They really enjoy it. And just kind of, it's an adrenaline rush and it's an activity. And I think it's really important for fathers to have shared activities with their kids and not just being there. I mean, that's great. You need that support and someone just to be there, but to actually take the time and the, the initiative to go out and actually have those shared activities because those are bonding things. When I look over the years, my favorite times with my own father is when we had shared activities. And I think that's the same for my kids. For the younger ones, um, usually it's more like I'll take them to like the trampoline park, or we'll go just get a hot chocolate or something and a, like a muffin or whatever and um, just kind of sit there and just let them try to let them open up and ask them questions and and vice versa so it's with with six kids it's challenging just because trying to get everyone to do the same thing is incredibly hard for example the other night uh i was like hey you guys you want to watch a movie they're like yes and so we put on a movie and like three of them sat there and watched the other ones didn't want to and so that's always the challenge to find the time or the activity where, that everyone wants to do. So, and I'm still trying to figure out where that balance is and how to do it best.
0: Yeah. yeah we, we, I mean, even, even with a much smaller family, you know, with two, two kids, it, it is tough sometimes to get everybody on the same page for activities. And sometimes we'll just put options out there. Like I'll say, okay, you guys want to, Go to dinner tonight. You want know, to go play tennis. You want know, to go play pickleball, or stay home and play dinner games. You know, for example, and or you know, we'll we'll go pick out a bunch of games because a lot of times everybody's not on the same page. But the, we'll take out like three different games, then flip coins or play Rochambeau to see which game we're going to play at dinner. And yeah, you know, there, there's creative ways to go about it. But I think the other thing that you know, a lot of parents who are exhausted at the end of the day should probably realize because I didn't really think about this until I started doing it. Sometimes you don't have to like spend a ton of energy, like dragging out the Monopoly board or figuring out some fun activity. I'll sometimes grab my sons. And just be like, hey, it's the end of the day. I'm going to go read a book in the sauna. Anybody else want to go read a book in the sauna with me? Right? And it's just a, just kind of like doing what you kind of want to do anyways for relaxation, but you're taking your kids along. Sometimes I'll just like go for a walk, but I mean like a quiet walk or a walk where where I just want to listen to music. And I'll just tell my sons, I'll be like, hey, I'm going to go for a walk. You want to come with me? And it's not like a walk and talk with that. It's just like, come hang out and do what I'm doing anyways. And I, I think some parents put pressure on themselves that it has to be some epic adventure with full time and presence. And yeah, like especially full presence is important, but sometimes your kid can just kind of like be with you while you're doing what you'd be doing anyways.
1: Yeah, for sure. And that's something that I need to work on more and just to become better with, at that. Because like you said, you know, I, I tend to put pressure on myself to want to do these epic things with them and then just finding the time to do that and just balancing it all with with so many. That does make it challenging. Um, but yeah, but I think it's also a leadership thing as far as just taking that initiative, like you said, to let's go for a walk or I'm going to go for a walk. You want to join, join me and just... Putting the ball in their court. If they want to, they can. Um, if they don't, they'd rather play with friends or read a book by themselves or whatever, then you know, that's possible too. Yeah. In the past, I've gotten into this, I don't want to call it a habit, but w- my default was I would suggest an activity. They didn't want to, then I would get like, oh, well, woe is me. I they don't want to hang out. So I guess there is no relationship, whatever. And so, forth. so I'm gonna go do, do my thing and just leave them. But sometimes instead of looking at it like that. They're happy where they are, they're content, they're playing with friends or playing with their siblings or whatever. And so as long as they just know that they're safe, they're secure, and that that I'm around, and just letting it be that. And if they want something, they'll come and ask, and I'll offer. And then if they don't accept, that's fine. And just not take it personally, um, but just realize that's where they're at
0: discipline is something that comes up over and over again in the book it is related to what we were talking about earlier right like sometimes the way that you discipline your your children can stick with them for their whole lives uh, as far as the way they discipline their own children or the, or just the the way that they feel about perhaps whether they were they were traumatized or or listened to or whether there was there was love involved and in my question about discipline, again, which which all the parents in the book got, you know, you, you were very raw and, and open and vulnerable in a lot of your questions. You admitted that you were overly authoritative and, you know, you you were raised, learning yelling and spanking were good methods of discipline. It's kind of similar to the way that that I was raised to a certain extent, not so much yelling, but definitely a lot of spanking. Tell me about how you evolved as far as your disciplinary style and what worked for you.
1: It's evolved a lot over the years. I mean, I was raised in a very disciplined, authoritarian house where if you disobeyed, you were getting spanked. Or if you talk back, you were getting soap in your mouth. Um, or as I got older, grounded. And honestly, a lot of these things, it was way over the top. And you know, when I first started having kids, I kind of adopted that same mentality where, okay, I turned out okay, so this is what you do. And I really, really regret that because every child is different, and some are more sensitive than others. What works for one will not necessarily work for the other. And while maybe a spanking will work for some children, the others will take it so personally that that's not good. And you know, my philosophy around it is I, I, I don't think that spanking is ever good anymore, just because if the parent is the first—this is how children see love, love and acceptance, and it's their first worldview— Um, of their ultimate caretaker. And so if they're seeing this imbalance or this dichotomy of they love me, but then they're physically hitting me, what does that teach them? What does that teach them about love? What does that teach them about acceptance? They love me unless I do this, then I actually get physically hit. So when you take a step back and look at it like that and completely take our ego out of it as parents, which is incredibly challenging. I mean, there's My daughter, number five, she is incredibly strong-willed. I mean, she will cut off her nose to spite her face for no reason other than just to get her way or just because a thought enters her head. And as a parent, that is very hard, who I'm also strong-willed, and yet it takes all my willpower not to just lash out and just because I said so, you have to do this or that or spank her or whatever. Um, And that's something that I'm still learning, and she's been an amazing teacher for that, uh, (laughs) as hard as it is just because the kids are all so different and trying to, trying to discipline them and raise them differently based on their personality and what works for one and doesn't work for another. And that's so hard. So I think it's constantly growing and evolving and just trying to really sit with them where they are. Cause all my children, they're incredibly good children. I mean, they're not, they're not bad kids by any stretch of the imagination. I mean, they're not crazy rebellious, not like, not like I was as far as pushing the limits just because. And I think it also goes back to the parenting. If I don't set hard and fast rules on so many things, like never lie. But as far as like, if they want to know something, I'll tell them it wasn't how my parents were. This is the rules. This is why. And, but they couldn't logically back up the reason for that. And with my personality, I'm okay with the rule if I understand it, but if you can't back it up, why that's there logically, then hell no, not going to follow it. So for my own kids, it's like, look, if you can logically explain to me why you don't like that or why it's not a rule, why it's not good, then okay, we'll over, we'll change it. So, because having that relationship with them and that honesty and transparency, I think has been very helpful in raising them, so that they kind of follow guidelines that that we've set.
0: I never swore off spanking, like I, I, and and I will still not say that. There's not a time and a place for, you know, as, as, uh, as the Proverbs in the Bible would say, right? Like spare the rod, spoil the child. I think that sometimes some elements of physical discomfort can send a pretty strong message, especially if a child or a grown adult is engaged in something that's going to harm them a lot more than that corporate punishment is going to, to offer in terms of short-term discomfort or pain. That being said, When we adopted, which we pretty much did from a very early age with our children after reading the book Love and Logic, a consequential-based parenting style from a disciplinary standpoint, meaning it's very, very rare that we'll ever give a flat no without tons of reasons, tons of education. Here's what gluten – does to your body. Here's what porn does to your brain. Here's what alcohol does to your liver. Here's what marijuana does to your memory. Right. Anything like that. We, we, we are very open and transparent again with our children about the consequences of any decision that they may make. And then we've adopted the habit of simply stepping back and letting them deal with the consequences of their decision right? Like you had a crappy day of school and you didn't do well on a test and you stayed up late last night and you were watching screens or you you ate the wrong meal before bed or whatever, deal with it. But what I'm not going to do is like, you know, hold your face down to your dinner plate and threaten you with the spanking if you don't finish your asparagus. No, you get to deal with the biological blowback of of inadequate you know, nutrient availability for your body and how that affects your body the next day. Like, But it takes time to do that, right? It takes time to educate a child with love. And a lot of parents, I think often because they're raised this way, again, not to blame, but it's just the, the way they are and it's something that can totally be changed. They know that loud words and spankings or some kind of pain affect some type of immediate reaction and it's fast and it doesn't take a lot of time and it doesn't take a lot of effort and it doesn't take a lot of smoke coming out of your ears trying to figure out how you're going to explain something to a six year old. Whereas the consequential pace parenting from a disciplinary standpoint it takes more time and effort and knowledge. But man, the the payoff is such that I think in our sons at least who are 14, I can count on one hand the number of times I've actually had to spank them and they're not like shitty little kids, right? It's, it's not, it's not like they're, they're poorly behaved because they weren't spanked. It's just that I didn't really have to very much at all because of the way that we educated them, you know?
1: Yeah, exactly. I mean, I feel like corporal punishment is lazy parenting yeah. because it's, it's easy. I mean, yeah, you don't want to hit your kid and like we can rationalize it. Oh, this hurts me more than it hurts you. That's, Line that I heard from my parents growing up, but it's like, come on, it really is lazy. And a lot of people they'll use that line in Proverbs, but to me, that's that comes from an era that was very authoritarian. It's a different era, it's not where we are now. And while there's things we can learn from that, I think we are in a higher state of consciousness now where we look at the long term effects and what is this doing. We're not in that same patriarchal society where the rules were different um, based on the gender. So, because of that, um, you know, it's just been my philosophy to have those conversations with them and have those consequences. And a lot of that I picked up from you, Ben, when we stayed at your house many years ago. I think it was in 2017, and you know, we had some really—I yeah, forgot
0: about that. That's right
1: yeah, just about, just about parenting um, and kind of having those conversations, whether that's about drugs or sex or, you know, whatever. And so we actually adopted a lot of those ideas and that's been very beneficial. And my kids have made really smart decisions, especially like around food and what's healthy and what's not. And while I always try to provide the healthiest food possible in our own home, when they're outside of the home, they they have the opportunity to eat sugar and junk food and whatever. And But they understand that they don't feel good. And an example of this, so my oldest son, he's had some like bowel, gut issues and stuff that he's been working through via diet. And so he's had to be on a pretty strict diet for um, I think six months now. And he knows that when he goes off of it, then he just doesn't feel as good, almost like irritable bowel type type stuff. And so, he, but he's learned and has been very disciplined with it with exception. But then that's a teaching moment as well and stuff. So I don't have to step in and say, why are you doing this? It's, you know, don't do that. I need to make the decision. At the end of the day, we want to raise children to be amazing adults and not just to do what we say, why we say it, but to actually, we're trying to raise adults, not children.
0: You have a saying at the end that it's kind of related to discipline. It's not, not the very end of your chapter, but I did have like the classic billboard statement on there, right? Like, like the one message for parents that you would put on a billboard and your message, I'll say it to you just in case you don't have it memorized, Seth, was, was listen to your child. More than you speak and ask your child what they need from you. Listen to your child more than you speak and ask your child what they need from you. Yeah. What what do you mean by that exactly? I mean, it's kind of obvious what you mean by it, but I'm curious if you have like an example or or why you why you chose that specific phrase.
1: I think this goes back to doing a lot of deep work on myself. And my parents never asked me what I needed. They told me what they thought I needed. They raised me based on their own their own biases by religion, by how they were raised, but they never asked me if that was right for me. It was a one size fits all black and white approach and that doesn't work. And while my some of my success and my motivation and work ethic and internal drive comes from that, it comes from a place of hurt and of a place of not enough and trying to prove myself and not from a place of love and motivation based on how I was raised. And I don't want to pass that on to my own children, even though I've been guilty of following some of those same courses of action, some of those same same habits. Uh, that's something that I'm constantly trying to work through and improve upon because I want I want to be a teacher for my children, but I want they're also a great teacher for me. I want to learn from them because children have so much wisdom. Because when they come out of the womb, they're like a fresh set of eyes and soul that hasn't been corrupted by the world. They don't have these biases that we do based on culture and society and religion and parents and and everything. So they look at things from a different perspective. They're just intrinsically curious. And to be able to go back and see the world through a fresh set of eyes like that is just amazing. So I want to ask them what they need. And They can tell me so that I can help to give that to them and not just try to force my own ideas and beliefs on them. And, you know, I've definitely been guilty of that over the years. As an example, I really wanted my sons to play team sports. I wanted them to just play baseball and football and basketball and everything. And my oldest did for a couple of years. And then he just, he got tired of it and didn't want to. And this goes back to my own trauma. Which can
0: make you feel guilty as a parent, by the way, because that's happened to me too. And I'm like, my kids aren't playing basketball and baseball and football like the other kids. What's going to happen here?
1: Yeah. And for me is because this is wild because as a kid growing up, the only thing I ever wanted my father to do was play sports with me. And he wasn't that into sports and he didn't. So I vowed when I was a father that I would play sports with my kids and be there for their teams and things like that. And then they didn't want to. And so that was really hard. And that hit my ego is like, Is there something wrong with me? What am I doing wrong? Or what's wrong with them or something? And what I've had to realize is that we're all so different, and I can't force my values on them. I have to love and accept them for who they are, where they are. And if they have other interests, then that's fine. And just be accepting of those and help them to to evolve those and learn from it, and they can do great things. As an example there, my oldest son, he started a chess club at the library. I mean, this was his own initiative, and I was – not something that I would ever do or I was ever even that interested in, but I was super proud of him taking that initiative to go and start that. It's all part of just listening to our children and trying to understand where they are, what makes them tick, what do they enjoy and helping to foster a curiosity and a love of learning and just creative and critical thinking in all areas of life so that we can just be better parents and have a great relationship with them over the course of a lifetime.
0: We kind of only scratched the surface of a, of a ton of the stuff that, you wrote in the chapter again, like not to, uh, not to to scratch an open wound. I think it'll be interesting for people to, to compare, you know, a lot of your replies to to Katie's replies. And, um, you both, you both brought a lot to the table when it came to, to the, what you shared in the book and both had your unique perspectives, which I think were just, they're fantastic. And, uh, I mean, I think the, the one thing that I really, really appreciate about you, Seth, and, and your chapter and the way that you parenting is just this idea of bringing your kids along on the adventure and educating them along the way and doing so fearlessly in a way that, as you've just described, might not involve team sports and what everybody else is doing, but involves really wanting the best for your kids and paying attention to them. And, you know, as you say, listening to them more than you speak and asking them what they need from you. And so uh, despite you being a very, very short man, Re- uh, five seven it's not that short. And we call it vertically know. challenged. I'm just I'm just giving you a hard time. Yeah, you, uh, you, you dwarf Viking you. Um, I'm here for it. <laughs> so anyways, for, for folks listening in, obviously, you know, all of Seth's replies are gonna be in the book when it comes out at boundlessparentingbook.com. Everything that we've talked about today, I'll put at bengreenfieldlife.com greenfield slash Seth Spears, S P E A R S. I'm gonna also I'm I'm gonna leave link to Seth's Rewild Gear website. He gave me a 10% discount on that if you use uh, my my special link. Uh, and so I'll put that in the show notes. And then also, like I mentioned, I invested in the oral and hair and skincare natural products company that Seth and Katie founded. I eat my own dog food, you guys. If you walk into my shower, if you walk into my bathroom, it's all the wellness stuff. And you know the shampoos, the conditioners, the deodorant new deodorant is pretty cool there's there's all sorts of stuff the toothpaste also is amazing anyways uh it's i just use their whole suite of products because it just freaking works so i've got discounts on that wellness stuff too and you can uh you can go to the show notes at ben greenfieldlife.com slash seth spears and they'll hook you up with that and then if you have questions for seth if there's just like stuff that leapt out to you, if you disagree with stuff you know and you have your own things to add and you're like you guys shouldn't have even brought up spanking you bastards uh anything like that just go to ben greenfieldlife.com slash seth spears and i love to see the conversation. Conversation continue on and, and see questions that you guys have and uh, occasionally if you get lucky i can even uh, finagle the guests into into jumping in and, and replying to a few of them so again that's at bengreenfieldlife.com slash seth spears seth uh our conversation just now made me really wish we could go hunting again together so i'll have to get you in on one sometime definitely definitely yeah yeah hidden hawaii in march man maybe i'll talk to you later on about it
1: yeah it'll be great
0: all uh, right cool too. all right folks so i'm ben greenfield along with the great Seth Spears, signing out from bengreenfieldlife.com. Have an amazing week. More than ever these days, people like you and me need a fresh, entertaining, well-informed, and often outside-the-box approach to discovering the health and happiness and hope that we all crave. So I hope I've been able to do that for you on this episode today. And if you liked it, or if you love what I'm up to, then please leave me a review on your preferred podcast listening channel, wherever that might be. And just find the Ben Greenfield Life episode. Say something nice. Thanks so much. It means a lot.